American Timelines is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So now I'm obsessed with time. Come on, tell me about the time. Had it all in my head tonight. Had the time of my life. When the words all come down, like blues on Tuesdays come down. Throw it all away. Oh, God. How come get old? sucks like how come like, it's hard to move it's hard to do anything because your like, body's you know been around for a long time almost 50 <clears> years <throat> right right 40, 40 some years my body's been around and it's just like and it just starts the shit starts to shut down and ain't meant to last it's just shutting down bruh it ain't meant to last forever it's hard to fucking do anything like i i think if i knew then we're, sl- we're slowly returning to dust <laughs> Yeah. It's really what's happening. Yeah. Very slowly returning to dust. I feel like if I had known when I was 27 yeah. or 25 mm-hmm. that this was the best it's going to be, I would have taken more advantage of a young body that could do stuff. I know it. Well, we did play kickball. And I could do car- <laughs> We did play drinking kickball. Yeah, we got drunk. Drunken kickball. We got drunk all the time. At 10 a.m. playing kickball. Get hammered all the time. <laughs> We just fucking, our bodies were temples and we just abused them. Yep. I mean, not Keith Richards, but. Close. I mean, I guess I would have just savored moments like sitting down and getting back up without like. <laughs> a lot of pain that's yeah. involved. Well, it's like, I mean, I just sat down and I just reached for a pillow behind my back. Like I just adjusted a pillow behind my back and that was equivalent to doing an entire workout. Just now, like, yeah. I'm like, oh, oh, my stomach and my abs are all flexed, and it's like, oh, oh, now I could go to bed because I just slightly adjusted a pillow behind me. Jesus Christ! I'm exhausted from that. Without further ado, welcome to another episode of American Timelines. I'm Amy, and that's Joe, and we are History for Jerks. Yes, we are. Yeah, we present historical American timelines, including murders and rapes and aliens and ghosts. That's right. In civil rights movements and inventions <laughs> and births. And um, just crazy wackadoodle things. And we go month by month. And we are in 1956 at the moment. We left off at the end of October and we're going to pick up in November. That's right. This is our November, December 1956 episode. And we will pretty much be wrapping up 1956. That's right. But there might be a surprise episode with the Scottish guys coming up. Okay. Just like a random 1956 Scotland, Scottish Timelines episode. All right. If I can get that worked out. But for now, let's jump into November, shall we? All right, let's do it. Let's jump <clears> in, <throat> listeners, time heads. And we're going to start with November 1st, which was a Thursday of 1956. And on that day, the Nobel Prize in Physics was awarded jointly to William Bradford Shockley, John Bardeen, and Walter Hauser Bratain for their researches on semiconductors and the discovery of the transistor effect. Okay. What is the transistor effect, you may ask? I might. That's when a man puts his balls and wiener no, in the toilet. No, that's not right. Oh, wait, that's an Alabama Hot Pocket or maybe a Cleveland Hot Waffle. I'm not sure. All right. Enough uh, for okay. those things. All right. The transistor effect enables us to use one electrical signal to control another. So it is an okay. artificial ph- phenomena. Okay. But it uses natural rules. But, you know, like transistor, you get that? It's like yeah. one controlling another. It's really boring. <laughs> really <laughs> but it's really boring. amazing, too. Like, <clears throat> it allowed, so basically what it allowed is uh, computer chips and things to be way smaller. Because before, yes. every single chip had to have its own, like, tube yeah. and whatever. And now one can make another one work and make another one work. And that's, so it, it can be, be a lot a, smaller. Yeah. And I think, I, I think is how I really very basically understand it with my stupid caveman brain. Right. Okay. Uh, but if you know more, tweet us at History for Jerks and explain it. Uh, dumb it down for me. Yep. And then Saturday, on November 3rd, 1956, the film Wizard of Oz was televised for the first oh. time. Oh. Hosted by Burt Lahr and 10-year-old Liza Minnelli. Yes. As the finale of the Ford Star Jubilee series on CBS. Yeah, 10-year-old Liza Minnelli hosted that show. Wow. Uh, and I don't know if you knew this, but Liza Minnelli is the daughter of actress and singer 
Judy Garland. Judy Garland. That's I didn't right. know that. What? I didn't know that. You didn't know that. Uh-uh. Why would I know that? I don't know. I thought everybody knew that. That's crazy. And You I probably know. wondered why Liza Minnelli was, was so on famous. That. You probably wondered why she was on Wizard of Oz at 10 years old. Well, hosting that show. Yeah, I just assumed it was she was like a child actor or something. No, she was her daughter. I don't know. I didn't know that. No, that mm-hmm. makes sense. And then on Monday, November 5th, you know what? You could fill you could fill a a universe with the shit I don't know. So <laughs> I don't want to hear it, people tweeting at me how stupid I am for not knowing yeah. Judy Garland was Liza Minnelli's mother. I, I can't figure out a time where I would have been made aware of that. Okay. And then would have listened and been like, oh, really? Like, I do not care. So <laughs> take that, Liza Minnelli. You've never, you've never in your life proven you were straight. More than you have just right now. The <laughs> fact not that knowing you, anything about Liza Minnelli. Yes. The fact that you did not know Liza Minnelli was Judy Garland's uh, daughter. So that'll be my test if, any, if I ever think anybody's gay. Is, hey, do you know who Liza Minnelli's mother is? Yeah. If they know they're gay. That's right. Okay. Cool. Pretty, pretty much. And if I find a straight person that knows that, can I assume they're gay and then just seduce them then? No. I, I don't think you can assume. Okay. Monday, November 5th, 1956, the Nat King Cole Show debuts on NBC. It was awesome, the first yeah. variety program to be hosted by an African-American. And he had, was this when he was having all these problems too, or no? What problems? Remember the, was it last episode, or the one where... Nat- where he was attacked? Yeah. Whatever. That was a few, that was the same year, I think. It was yeah. earlier, yeah, it was a couple episodes ago. Okay. But this program started at a length of 15 minutes... Because the man won't give me 30. <laughs> yeah. Remember when Nat, Nat X would say something? Because the man, I only got yeah. a 15 minute show. Because a man won't give, give me, me 30. 30. Yep. Uh, but I mean, there were a lot of 15 minute shows apparently then. But it was increased to a half an hour in July 1957. And I did look this up because I was interested. Uh, I want to know since this was the first variety show hosted by an African American, I want to see who the sponsor was so I can yeah. hopefully. Uh, partake in that sponsorship and support them, even though this was 1956. And it was support. It was uh, the sponsor was Rheingold Beer. Oh, that's uh, not around anymore. I bet. But a national sponsor was never found. Uh, yeah, so it technically went away, but it's back. Like somebody revived the names. So I don't know if it's the same people or relatives of the people that originally did Rheingold Beer. Mm-hmm. But I think online you can still get. I think you can. There's like a local town wherever that is. Anyway, oh, the show was trouble. Was in trouble financially despite efforts by NBC, Harry Belafonte, Tony Bennett, Ella Fitzgerald, Eartha Kitt, Frankie Lane, Peggy Lee, and Mel Torme. Um, they tried to keep it going, but Cole decided to end the program. The last episode aired on December 17, 1957. So it was only a year. And commenting on the lack of sponsorship, Nat King Cole said shortly after its demise, Madison Avenue is afraid of the dark. Mm. Yep. yep. So there you go. And then Tuesday, November 6th, Dwight D. Eisenhower's re-elected president of the United States, defeating, do you know who he defeated? No. 1956, November 6th? No. Here's a hint. There's a Democratic candidate named Adlai. Stevenson? Yep. Yeah. Adlai Stevenson, not Ad- Adelaide from uh, not different strokes. Good. Oh, okay. Um uh, uh, Eisenhower successfully ran for re-election uh, against Adlai Stevenson, the second, the former Illinois governor, whom he had defeated four years earlier. This election saw the sixth and most recent rematch in presidential history, and the second where the winner was the same both times. Eisenhower was a good president. Yeah, he had first become famous for his military leadership in World War II, and he remained widely popular. A heart attack in 1955 provoked speculation that he would not seek a second term, but his health recovered, and he faced no opposition at the 1956 Republican National Convention. And although Stevenson remained popular with a core of liberal Democrats, he held no office and had no real base. Mm. Uh, so, there you go. That's, that's a little bit about that. But everybody, like Eisenhower, really had the support of everybody. He was yeah. In World War II and everything, so... He was a family man. He was religious. Yeah, and all back that in stuff. the 50s, that was a big thing. And then Wednesday, November 7th, Judy Tenuta maybe was born. What? We we maybe have a birthday. Why? First of all, why? Do you know who Judy Tenuta yes, is? Yes, I do. American stand up comedian who we just lost her, by the yes, way. Yes, she just died. She just died. 
mm-hmm. but she was a stand-up comedian. Played and the accordion. accordion player. She was really funny and yeah. really crazy. And she was born in Oak Park, Illinois. She was one of nine siblings, but apparently she told people she was born in 1956, but she was really probably born in 1949. Oh, wow. Uh, and then later... She even started telling people she was born in 1965. <laughs> oh my she god! Lying yeah, you so, could lie about her. So age. she allegedly, she probably wasn't really born in 56, but okay. Um, she grew up in a staunchly Irish Catholic neighborhood, graduating from Immaculate Heart of Mary High School in Westchester, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but she attended the University of Illinois at Chicago, where she majored in theater. And her interest in comedy began when she took an improv comedy class with the Chicago improv troupe, The Second City. Oh. Yep. Shortly after that, she started opening for other comedians. And I recently found out, Googling stuff, that the Players Workshop is back. The one that I took that was the original training with Bill Marino's guys. I was in the last class. Oh, you were? In, I don't know, 99 or 2000 or whatever. And it Went defunct after us. And then I heard, I saw online, it's back again. Okay. Well, that's nice to know. It is nice to know. And then Thursday, November 8th, the biblical drama film, The Ten Commandments, directed by Cecil oh, B. Yes. DeMille, starring Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Yeah. And Yul Brenner opens in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Woe unto thee, O Israel. You have sinned a great sin in the sight of God. You are not worthy to receive these Ten Commandments. I used to love that movie when I was a kid. You did? Yeah, it was on TV all the time. My dear God, man, is that about pain? (laughs) Uh, We had a friend that could do a great impression of him. Um, One reason why the Ten Commandments are on display, I don't know if you know this, at so many courthouses in the U.S. Yes. Is because Cecil B. DeMille gave away 4,000 tablets. Oh, my God. Engraved with the scripture to promote this film in 1956. And so they all ended up so in front of the courthouse? So they ended up in courthouses, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, on display in courthouses. So that's a little trivia about the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all because of that movie. So if you see one, it's not that we're this crazy, well, we are a crazy religious mm-hmm. society. But anyway, that's a funny little bit of trivia that I learned from popculture.us or IMDb or something. And then on Friday, November 9th, 1956, Lou Thez beats Whipper Billy Watson in St. Louis to become mm-hmm. the NWA wrestling champion. Do you want to guess, Miss St. Louis, mm-hmm. what arena this wrestling match happened in? In Kiel Auditorium? 19, Was it Kiel Auditorium? I'm looking it up. I can't remember. I thought I had it written down, but Kiel Auditorium. Yep. K-I-E-L. You told me that, I think. No. I didn't tell you. you. Well, you asked me if I knew where Keel Auditorium was. Oh, I did when I was reading it. Okay. I didn't remember that I asked you that. Yep. Um, but I found this old news article mm-hmm. uh, from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, mm-hmm. and it was actually in the paper about this wrestling match. Thez whirled Watson in an airplane spin, dumped Jeez. him on the canvas, and finished the affair with a body block. That was in the paper. They talked about wrestling moves. Uh, that's, that's pretty funny. They don't do that anymore. No. And then Saturday, November 10th, 1956, Gene DePaul and Johnny Mercer's musical Lil Abner, based on the Hillbilly... I was in Lil Abner in high school. I didn't know... That was based on a comic strip. Did you yes. know that? A Hillbilly comic strip? Yes. Anyway, this opened at the St. James Theater in New York City and ran for... I just kept that in there because I guess I didn't realize that there was... I knew. I guess I knew that there was a musical or a play. Is it a musical? Musical, yeah. Did you sing? Yeah, I was in the chorus. I was a freshman. You weren't good at it? No, I was... You weren't good enough to be the lead? I just... They gave the leads to the seniors and stuff. But you could have. You could have. But I I had a lead by the time I was a sophomore. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. You were always a star, huh? Except your freshman year. You were just garbage. Well, nobody knew. I had a mohawk. I came in my freshman year with a faux hawk, so... Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? They're not going to give you the lead with a mohawk. This person's bad news, they thought. Right. And then Saturday, November 10th, 1956, we have our first official real birthday. Hit the music, Matt Truman, Ego Trip, greatest band leader of all time. In Benton Harbor, Michigan, we have American comedian and actor David Adkins, otherwise known as Sinbad. Oh. He was the son of Louise and a Baptist Reverend Dr. Donald Beckley Adkins Sr. He had five siblings, and his paternal grandmother was of Irish descent. 
I don't know why that matters. But he attended Benton Harbor High School. Their team colors are orange and black. Home of the Tigers. Notable alumni include the only black Ghostbuster. Who is it? Oh, Jesus. I can't remember that guy's name. Ernie Hudson. Oh, I never would know. Ernie Hudson and Sinbad went to the same school uh, in Michigan and graduated in 1974. And he attended college at the University of Denver in Denver, Colorado, where he lettered two seasons for the basketball team. Notable alumni of that college are Neil Simon. Neil Simon and Sinbad went to the same college. (laughs) Jeez. And played on a basketball team together. No, they did not. Neil Simon dunked. No, did not happen. Yeah. Neil Simon was a better basketball player than Michael Sinbad Jordan. was um, in a in a genie movie called Shazam in another universe, though. I think you're thinking of Shaq. No, that's one of those Mandela effect or whatever they call it. Yeah. People think that Sinbad yeah. did a genie movie called Shazam uh-huh. in the 90s or 80s or whatever. They do, but he didn't? But he did not. I've never heard that one. Yeah. I've met Sinbad. He's a very, very, very cool guy. He's actually a very good comedian, too. Yeah. Most people make fun of him. Yeah. He's actually very good. We had hired him for a, a, a like a charity type event, and he did some great crowd work, and he was, he's clean, and he's funny, and he's quick, and he really is very good. Um, But I have, an, <laughs> I have another story about that I don't know if I can share. That's funny. Basically, he requested... I wasn't there at the time, but allegedly he was coming to our theater and he, in his rider, <laughs> I love this. He requested a, uh, an exercise bike. Uh, he had to have an exercise bike in his hotel room, not just in the hotel. Oh. And so that was like a demand in the rider. So we had a guy that always went above and beyond, made sure everybody had every single thing they had. Instead of just crossing out, it was okay. So he called all these places to find a Jeez. place that would rent one. And he, and he ended up finding one, but he couldn't, I don't know, he didn't have a truck or a van. So he ended up having to, carry oh my a, god like carry an exercise bike across town like oh jesus several blocks who's carrying this thing by himself uh oh my god <laughs> and then he gets it there in the he gets in the room he had, uh, he convinces the hotel people to put it in the room gets it in there taken care of and then sinbad decides he's not gonna spend the night after all so oh he, my god he never even checked into the hotel room and all that oh jeez. yeah allegedly i don't know if that's exactly true but i think that's Basically, how it goes. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then Tuesday, November 13th, 1956, the U.S. Supreme Court rules race separation on buses in Alabama is unconstitutional. Good. We're making progress. Yes. Thursday, November 15th, 1956, Love Me Tender, the Reno Brothers film with Elvis Presley in his debut. Yes, that prom- has something to do with my case. Yes, it premieres in the U.S. on November 15th. So yes. that's significant. It is. In your story later it on sure is. in December. I was just giving a little preview. Yeah. And then Saturday, November 17th, 1956, we're getting right through November, Syracuse fullback Jim Brown scores the NCAA record of 43 points in a game against Colgate in 1956. Brown ran for 196 yards, scored six touchdowns, and this is a running back. He kicked seven extra points. Wow. He was the kicker, too, for a total of 43 points, an NCAA record that stood for over 40 years. It's like bionic. Yeah. It's like he's got bionics. Well, he played for the Browns later and was like just an amazing, like Jim Brown was known as an amazing running back forever. Yeah. But two other running backs have since beat his record. And, oh. Uh, and the record is now 48 points. Uh, Kalen Balage, Balage from Arizona State and Howard Griffith uh, from Illinois. Uh, so they're the ones that hold it now, if anybody cares. And then on Sunday, November 18th, 1956, have you heard of the famous line that Nikita Khrushchev says? The um, Soviet leader in this uh, to Western ambassadors at a reception at the Polish embassy in, no. Polish embassy in Moscow? Uh-huh. We will bury you. It's a oh. big famous thing that he said. Oh. Um, and it's a big whole, big long thing about why he said that. But basically he's he was pronouncing to the capitalist states it doesn't matter uh, it doesn't depend on you whether or not we exist if you don't like us don't accept our invitations and don't invite us to come to see you whether you like it or not history is on our side we will bury you mm. the speech prompted the envoys from 12 nato nations and israel to leave the room they were so upset oh and so i guess there was a little bit of a scuttle but like some took it as a threat and then some 
like thought might, was that a nuclear threat? I don't know. It's uh, not sure, but I think it was more of just communism versus capitalism. I see. Type of thing. So that's a little history for you, for jerks. And then on November twenty second was a Thursday. The oh gosh, it's Roman numerals. I hate them. <laughs> what what are they? And I'll tell you. No, I got it. Sixteenth. Okay. XVI, right? Fifteen. No. 16th. Yeah. 16th Summer Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. They're, they're only that old? They're only... 16th. Uh, and we're 56, so they started in 40? Must have, I guess. Anyway, the 16th, 16th Summer Olympic Games opened in Melbourne, Australia. These were the first to be staged in the Southern Hemisphere and Oceania, as well as the first to be held outside Europe and North America. All right. And those... Games opened the same day that one of the greatest actors in history was born. And you know this guy. You spent a whole summer with him. Jim J. Bullock. <laughs> you spent a summer with Jim J. Yeah. Bullock? No. Richard Kind. Oh, Richard Kind. Remember when you slept yeah. with Richard no, Kind? No, that did not happen. You slept Get with him. Get out of here. Didn't you? No. I took an improv class <clears throat> with him as a teacher. As the te- oh, he was the teacher? Yeah, it oh, was I thought just he was part at, of the. I thought he was at Summerstock Theater. With it you. is. It, we were at Summerstock Theater. We were apprentices, and he was in the company. So yeah, so you guys slept in the same place. No, right? I don't know where he slept. Oh, you don't. I don't know. They had cabins, different cabins for the apprentices than they did for the. Oh, staff. you didn't try to sneak around and find out where Richard Kind slept and no slip into something more comfortable. Ew. A First of, of all, ladies... I'm pretty sure he's gay. Oh, he is. Probably. Uh, maybe. Well, we'd have to ask him if he knows who Liza Minnelli's mother yep, is. Yep, we would. <laughs> if he does, ding, you know ding, Liza ding, Minnelli's mother. Ring a ding ding. Yeah, instead of saying he's a friend of Dorothy, he knows Liza Minnelli's mother. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but at the 1956 Olympics, an Australian student successfully impersonated an Olympic torchbearer, uh, handing the mayor oh. of Sy- so, he, and he handed the mayor of Sydney a painted chair leg. Topped with a pair of burning underwear huh. in front of a crowd of thousands. Oh my God. Yes. According to hoaxes.org. That's pretty funny. In 1956, runners bef- uh, bore the Olympic flame across Australia on a path from Cairns to Melbourne where the summer games were to be held. But the torch relay was plagued by a series of setbacks. Torrential rain soaked it, burning heat almost overwhelmed the runners. The flame went out a few times and the torch fell to the ground and broke near the town of Lismore. Then in Sydney, and encountered a situation unique in Olympic history. Oh, boy. Cross-country champion Harry Dillon was scheduled to bear the flame into Sydney, where he would present it to Mayor Pat Hills. After making a short speech, Hills would pass the flame along to another runner, Burt Button, and <laughs> 30,000 people lined the streets of Sydney waiting for Dillon to arrive. The reporters stood ready with their cameras to record the historic occasion. Finally, at 9.30 a.m., the runner appeared, bearing the flame aloft, and everyone began cheering as the crowd pressed forward. A police escort surrounded the runner in order to keep order. With the escort around him, the runner, a young man in gray sports trousers, white shirt and tie, and uh, perspiring heavily, made his way through the streets <laughs> to the Sydney Town Hall. He bound up the steps and handed the torch to a waiting mayor who graciously accepted it, accepted it and turned to begin his prepared speech. At that point, the mayor realized something was wrong. The handle of the torch was sticky because the silver paint on it hadn't dried. Jeez. Then someone whispered in the mayor's ear, that's not the torch. Oh, boy. Suddenly, the mayor realized that what he was holding. Held proudly in his hand was not the majestic Olympic flame. Instead, he was gripping a wooden chair leg topped by a plum pudding can inside of which a pair of kerosene-soaked underwear was burning with a greasy flame. The mayor looked around for the runner, but the man had already disappeared, melting away in the surrounding crowd. (laughs) The mayor regained his composure and addressed the crowd. That was a trial run. Our friends from the university think things like this are funny. It was a hoax by somebody. I hope you are enjoying the joke, mate. Yeah, I bet bet that's not what he was thinking. Yeah, he was probably pissed. Uh The identity of the rogue runner was only publicly revealed years later. Oh, they did find out. It was Barry Larkin, famous St. Louis Cardinal and Cincinnati Red. No. No, he's a Cincinnati Red, not a St. Louis Cardinal. No. No, it was Barry Larkin, not the baseball player, but a vet- veterinary science student at Sydney University's St. John's College. He had dreamed up the prank in collusion with eight other students. Their intention was to poke fun at the torch relay, which they felt was being treated with too much reverence, considering the tradition's dubious past, because it traced its origins back to the 1936 Berlin Games organized by the Nazis. Did you know mm. that? I didn't know the torch came from Nazis originally. Yeah. 
But now you know you can hate it. Yeah, really. Originally, Larkin wasn't supposed to have been the bearer of the flaming underwear. One of the other students had dressed up in white shorts and a white top like a runner, but he panicked at the last minute and dropped the torch, and Larkin, wearing a tie, picked it up and started running. Because the official flame bearer had been delayed outside of Sydney, the crowd assumed Larkin was the real thing, especially when a police escort joined him. Larkin later recalled an interview what the experience felt like. <laughs> he said... The noise was quite staggering. There were flashes of photography. I felt very strange because I knew I was carrying a fake torch. The only thing I think about was, was what do I do when I got there? I was helped by Pat Hills. I just turned around and walked back down the steps, through the crowd, and onto a tram and back to college. Jeez. <clears throat> the mayor took the prank in good humor, but the crowd, once it realized what had happened, began to grow unruly. Oh, boy. When the They're real pissed. runner arrived a few months later, the crowd was milling around excitedly in the street as if stirred up by the mischief. In the crush of people, women began screaming for the safety of their children, and Hills called out for calm. A police convoy had to clear a path for the flame bearer to get through. Chaos. And so the real runner, 50-year-old Dylan, showed up at 940, and he presented the torch to Hills, who said, On your behalf, I accept this Olympic torch, which has come all the way from Greece and which has been carried from Cairns. Now, does it always come all the way from Greece? I don't know. Probably, because it's yeah, Greece where it, where it originated. Yeah. Uh, yep. Oh, fucking no. The fake torch, if you wonder what happened to it, was taken to a town hall reception and ended up in the possession of John Lawler, a man who had been traveling with the relay in a car. He stored it for years beneath his bed until eventually it got thrown out while tidying. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's kind of a fun little thing. That yep, happened. little ditty. And then on Monday, November 26th, 1956, a TV game show hosted by Bill Cullen debuts on NBC. You want to know what it is? Match game. Nope. Password. Who is right? Take a good look at what you see right now. This beautiful full-length mink coat and everything else on your screen. The jewels, the purse, the luggage, everything can be yours. Someone watching the program from home this week the will price win is right? all. Yes. Oh, my As God. NBC Television presents a new game of bidding, buying, and bargaining. The price is right. Wow. And here to conduct the most exciting shopping spree on television, Bill Cullen. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you. There you go. Bill Cullen, price is right. I didn't realize it was that old. Yeah, so, I didn't either. That's pretty amazing. Um, on that same day that The Price is Right debuted, a, a rower in the rowing yes. competition in the Olympics, Viktor Ivanov, he won Olympic civil, silver medal. Mm -hmm. In his excitement, he dropped his medal and it sunk. Oh, no. In, in Lake Wendouree, in oh, Victoria, shit. Australia, but was later recovered by a local teenager. Oh, well, that's good. It's kind of good, yeah. Good good on the teenager. Good little teenager. And then on Friday, November 10th, 1956, November 30th, 1956, sorry. Friday, November 30th, 1956, at 21 years, 10 months, three weeks, five days, Floyd Patterson becomes the youngest world heavyweight boxing champion. Okay. He KO'd Archie Moore in the fifth round in Chicago. He was the first Olympic gold medalist to win a professional heavyweight title. All righty. Uh, and then we're in December. Okay. Saturday, December 1st, 1956. Led by future Basketball Hall of Famers Bill Russell and Casey Jones, the U.S. wins its fourth consecutive Olympic gold medal with an 89-55 victory over the Soviet Union at the Melbourne Games. That's another thing I also didn't know that like basketball superstars played in the Olympics then. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just like an 80s thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but they did it back in the 50s. Um, also in basketball, Monday, December 3rd, basketball icon Wilt Chamberlain mm -hmm. makes his much-anticipated varsity debut in college, and he scores 52 points and grabs 31 rebounds, breaking both all-time Kansas records in an 87-69 win against Northwestern. And also, just a side note, statistically, in order, ha in order to have been with as many women as he claimed, yeah. that night he also would have slept with 189 women. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a little bit of hyperbole. A little bit of hyperbole. Was it like 100 billion women or yeah, something? Yeah, something crazy. More women that exist. Mm -hmm. Thursday, December 6th, 1956, Nelson Mandela and 156 others are arrested for political activities in South Africa. Mm. And then Friday, the very next day, we have a birthday, and there's an interesting tidbit about this one. Hit it! Amy, Amy hates birthdays. Amy hates birthdays. I bring this birthday up, Amy, because you mm -hmm. had a college roommate 
that was in love with this guy. He was born in West Baden Larry Springs, Bird. Indiana. Yeah. Born in West <laughs> Larry Bird. What born know. <coughs> West Baden Springs, Indiana to Georgia and Claude Joseph Joe Bird. His dad was He's a, a weird looking guy too. A, yeah, he a, looks like a bird. He looks like a bird. Looks like Big Bird. Yeah, he does. His uh, father was a veteran of the Korean War and uh uh he has four brothers and a sister. And he was raised in nearby French Lick, where his mother worked two jobs to support Larry and his five siblings. Bird has said that being poor as a child still motivates him to this day. Uh, but unfortunately, Georgia and Joe, his parents, divorced when Larry was in high school. And sadly, his dad died by suicide about a year later. Oh, wow. That was one thing I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that Larry Bird's father died. So I used to kind of just make fun of Larry Bird. Ah, this guy's a big tool-looking mm-hmm. thing, whatever. But I got really sad. Number one, I always have something in my heart for somebody who grew up poor and made it out because I feel like that's rare, rare and hard to do. Uh, and then that his dad committed suicide had to be really hard on yeah, him. So sure. according to IndianapolisMonthly.com, uh, on February 3rd, 1975, Joe Bird, Larry's father, called his ex-wife and told her the family would be better off without him and he was reportedly a drinker and had fallen behind in child support payments. He hung up the phone and shot himself, ending his life. And Joe's death combined with Larry's uncertain future made Larry Bird uneasy and numb, and the two were fishing buddies and were very close. Larry Bird said, I sort of always felt my dad gave up on not only himself but us kids. Mm -hmm. I still had two younger brothers at home and a mom. That's the way I looked at it then and the way I look at it now. It was shock. I was shocked. But just like anything else, life goes on. And he used basketball as an escape from his family troubles. Starring for Springs Valley High School, the black and gold right. team with the Blackhawks. All right. That's enough about Larry Bird. <laughs> and he became the school's all-time scoring leader. We don't need his whole fucking life story. Wow, Thank you. Jesus. You hate the girl you went to college with that was in love with him. But I just get, think it's a weird thing to be in love with. If you can get her as a listener, she will enjoy this episode. Look at that. <laughs> yep. <that's your laughs> what was her name? You want to give her full name I and address? Remember. You don't remember your college no, roommate's name? Um, you don't remember her first name? It wasn't actually. It was like my next door neighbor's oh. roommate or something. Oh, okay. So it wasn't your roommate. She wasn't my roommate, but she was my next door. Like I knew her, and okay. I went in there and I talked to her about Larry Bird and everything. <laughs> like I, you talked to her about Larry Bird. All well, the there were these posters all over the, her side of the room, and I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> she was like, "Oh, that's I." And then she told me she would die. If she ever met Larry Bird, she would kill herself. Yeah, because it was the best thing ever. Because her life would never be topped. And that brings it back to Larry Bird's father's suicide. It's a suicidal Larry Bird episode. All right, next. Thursday, December 13th, 1956, Anastasia came, come back, come back film for Ingrid Bergman. Anastasia is released in the U.S. And that role wins her the Academy Award for Best Actress. I've never seen that one. I haven't either. The play was. I've never been a huge Ingrid Bergman fan. I mean, she's beautiful and oh, you hate good actress Ingrid Bergman. Was well, she? Who's her famous daughter? Anybody? Um, no, but her. She was married to somebody. Right? She was married to yeah. She was married to um, Isabella Rossellini as is her daughter. Is that somebody famous? Yes, Isabella Rossellini, the actress from like Blue Velvet and stuff. What's Blue Velvet? Is that another gay thing that I don't know? No, that's that movie with Blue Velvet. De- uh, Dennis Hopper, where he's like, "Mommy wants, baby wants to fuck mommy," what? and he's sniffing the gas and Blue Velvet. I've never heard. I've never. I don't know what Blue Velvet is. Check it out. I'm gonna Google it. How do I not know what that is? I don't know. I'm like, I'm an old man. I don't know things. Maybe I've forgotten it. Oh, Isabella Rossellini. I don't remember that movie existing, though. Anyway. But that was 86 or something. I wasn't really paying attention much then. But that same day, the Brooklyn Dodgers traded Jackie Robinson to the hated New York Giants for left-handed journeyman pitcher Dick Littlefield. The only problem was Mm -hmm. neither team knew that Robinson had decided to retire from baseball. Oh, so he burned them all. Yeah. for him. But since, people have all said... People think that Robinson refused the trade and and then retired just so he wouldn't have to go to the team... The, the rival, but that's not true because there was a letter to Horace Stoneham uh, that says, Dear Mr. Stoneham, after due consideration, I have decided to request to be placed on the voluntary retired list as I am going to devote my full time to the business opportunities that have been presented. My sincerest thanks to you and Mr. Feeney for your wonderful cooperation and understanding in this matter. 
I assure you that my retirement has nothing to do with my trade to your organization. From all I have heard from people who have worked with you, it would have been a pleasure to have been in your organization. Okay. So, so that's I just just right here on American Timelines, I've put to death those rumors that he retired because he was traded. That did not happen. Okay. This is all according to Bleacher Report. Got to give credit where credit's due. I'm no sleuth. Thursday, December 20th, 1956, Montgomery, Alabama removes race-based seat assignments on its buses. Finally. And then the very next day on Friday, Martin Luther King and others sit in the new integrated buses. Yes. To kind of just put Good. it out there. And that brings us to December 28th, 1956, where yes. Amy is going to tell us something awful that we all will regret hearing. After these messages. After these messages. So we have this cool new sponsor called Magic Mind. Uh, you've heard me talk about how great it is for me. It's this little delicious shot uh, that helps me focus and drink less caffeine, right? So that's not the whole point of it. They're, they're doing this whole new thing, uh, a, a challenge. Magic Mind is doing, they have challenged us to do a challenge for you all. And a lot of you guys are better at social media than us. So I think this is a challenge for our listeners. It's a 14-day challenge. And uh, it is about being your best self for 14 days, and it's for good and for the rainforest. Yes. So Magic Mind, the people at Magic Mind are like, hey, we know we have this awesome product. This is delicious, and it does well for people. But we also want to get the word out also by donating to the Amazon Rainforest. And so the way it's going to work uh, – uh, we're doing the challenge, and our listeners are going to do the challenge, and there's a contest, and you can uh, win this contest and get Magic Mind super cheap, okay? Mm -hmm. So um, here's how it's going to work. The hashtag is hashtag 14 days of magic, okay? That's mm -hmm. the challenge. And everyone's going to become their best self for 14 days and share your journey with us uh, at magicmind.co slash 14 days of magic. You can get any Magic Mind pack with our discount code, ATL14, okay? ATL14 is the code. You use that and you get 20% off. And you are also going to make content, 14 days of making content. You know, do it every day, but throughout the 14 days, and just show what you're doing as a better person. You're taking this magic mind. It's making you focus. It's making you feel better. What are you doing? How are you being a better person? I personally have decided, I haven't told you this, mm -hmm. but I'm going to spend 14 days creating rather than consuming. So a lot of times I get home and I'm tired and I'm just like, ah, I'm just going to sit in front of a tube yes. and watch. I know that feeling. Watch episodes of Night Court mm -hmm. or catch up on wrestling from the 90s that I missed. Right. When I was living life. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I, all these hours I'm spending right. just watching football or watching something else or watching old things. And then I've I've wasted my whole night. When yeah. I can create. So I feel better when I create this podcast, mm -hmm. when I create Nerd School, when I create the Gruff and Loud show, when I write comedy jokes for stand-up shows that I do. And I don't. A lot of times I don't. I just don't do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm going to do. So okay. you can do whatever you want to do. You guys don't have to do that. But if you tweet about it or uh, Instagram about it, I don't know what the verb for Instagram is, and use the hashtag 14 Days of Magic, or for, for every 10,000 views... They get they donate ten dollars towards reforestation of the Amazon rainforest. So this contest literally saves the rainforest. Each one million views brings a thousand dollars donated. And specifically, what they're doing is uh, it's the reforestation of one of the Brazilian sectors of the rainforest called Fazendo São Nicolau. And so converting all that into cash is going to help their project. Magic Minds partner Pachama, who's doing this. Okay. So. Do that. Just just get on social media and talk about what you're doing for 14 days to be a better person. And then also use our code ATL14 to buy Magic Mind. Do those two things together, and then you can win more things. But the real winner here is the Amazon Rainforest. There you go. So I hope that's right. Okay. It's a little unclear. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully that's correct. But, again, I do. I take Magic Mind because... There are adaptogens in it, and that comes from the word adapt. They naturally adapt to what your body needs, and it helps uh, relieve stress. That's wonderful. That's one of the things. Um, there's a bunch of things, and I've talked about them a lot. 
Um, Ad nauseum is I what I would say. I but. know. I do talk about it a lot, but it helps me drink yeah, less that's coffee. Right. That's I true. focus when I drink it, and I drink less coffee. I used to have to drink a bunch of coffee, and that wasn't good for my heart or making me jittery, and now I don't have that issue anymore. So, boom, in everyone's face. Um, I love the magic mind. So I, I love the magic mind. I love the magic mind. It is very good for you. Drink it and get a subscription cheap uh, using our hashtag. All right, I'm going to talk about the Love Me Tender Murders. Ooh, the Love Me Tender Murder. So this is, again, we kind of alluded to it earlier, Love Me Tender, that movie with Mm -hmm. Elvis had just come out. That's right. And this is also known as the Murder of the Grimes Sisters. Oh, the Grimes Sisters? Yes. Frank Grimes? Nope. You know who Frank Grimes is? Yes. You remember that Simpsons episode? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Impressed. Um, So the Murder of the Grimes Sisters is an unsolved double murder. Okay. It occurred in Chicago, Illinois, okay. December 28, 1956, in okay. uh, two sisters named Barbara and Patricia Grimes, were okay. 15 and 12. 15 and 12. Disappeared while traveling from a Brighton Park movie theater to their home in McKinley Park. Okay. I wonder, do you know how far that is? I don't. I should have looked. But they drove? No, they were walking. Oh, they were walking. So it's not too far. So they they were kind of these Bobby Soxers. You know, Bobby Soxer's types, whatever that word is. I don't know what that means. Okay, never mind. Bobby Soxer types? Like yeah. poodle skirts? Yes, Things yes. like that? Yeah. Okay, I get it, yeah. So they were all about Elvis, and so yeah. they'd seen the movie ten times. Whoa, wow. But they begged their mom to let them catch the evening show at the local theater. So these girls- it was a, Oh, it was a bus ride away, I'm sorry. It was a bus ride. I wonder if these girls, so you know how like they show footage of like, you know, like the Beatles and Elvis and right. girls just screamed in the yeah. in the audience at a concert. Do, do you think they did that at the movie too? They scream or they- No. No, they watch no. it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so Loretta was mom, was their mom. She gave her permission for them to go. Okay. And Barbara, who was a high school sophomore, she was known as this kind of the serious one. Barbara's the serious one. And Patricia, who, or Petey, as she was known. Oh, that's kind of cute. She was a seventh grader. Okay. Uh, They were also very close friends as well as sisters. Really? They're just far enough apart where they didn't Yeah. So when they failed to return by midnight, Loretta Grimes called the police. Yeah. So as officers scoured the city, tips poured in. Workers at a Chicago Five and Dime store were positive that they saw Barbara and Patricia with two sailors listening to Elvis records on January 3rd, 1957. Really? This was according to the book Murder Gone Cold by Tamara Schaefer. So they think they just ran away. That's what this, that was alleged. A Minnesota woman who was traveling swore she met the sisters in a Nashville bus station restroom on January 9th, 1957. Huh. And that account made headlines, and it spurred rumors the girls were headed to Memphis, Presley's home. Yeah. So he, the, Elvis himself issued a statement saying, if you're good Presley fans, you'll go home and ease your mother's worries. Oh. So Loretta Grimes and her ex-husband Joseph insisted their daughters were in danger. They are not the type of girls to run away. Right. She was quoted as saying. So Chicagoan Dominic Pakiga. Emeritus professor of history at Columbia College was seven when the sisters disappeared. It was on everybody's mind, says he said. He lived near their neighborhood when he was a little kid. Okay. There were signs in the windows of stores saying, don't talk to strangers, he said on A&E's True Crime. Oh, you got to watch a show about this? Yeah. On January 22nd, 1957, a passing motorist saw what looked like two mannequins off the bridge over Devil's Creek near Willow Springs. And what do we always know? We always know there's no reason for mannequins to be laying around a bridge. That's right. Authorities converged and found the girls' bodies sprawled on the frozen ground. I tried to tell police my daughters didn't run away, but they didn't listen to me, said Joseph Grimes in a January 23rd Chicago Daily Tribune article. Okay, Chicago Daily Tribune. Patricia had several minor puncture wounds in her chest, Possibly made by an ice pick. And Barbara's face and head marks and bruises. The uh, chief investigator, Harry Gloss, he was uh, chief investigator for Cook County Coroner Walter McCarran. Okay. A preliminary autopsy, however, indicated the girls died of exposure and freezing temperatures. So they did not die of their wounds. They were, yeah. The anticlimactic resolution with no evidence of traumatic violence amplified the mystery and renewed pressure on investigators. Hmm. And so. 
again, there's all these tips coming in. And there was a cabbie who described seeing the sisters on December 30th, 1956, at a Skid Row diner located on Chicago's Hard Scrabble Madison Street huh. with two men, one reportedly with sideburns like Elvis. Ooh, gross. Um, then police went to pursue that lead, and they tracked down a young grif- drifter, not grifter, drifter, named Eddie Edward Benny Bedwell. That's kind of hard to say. From Tennessee. Eddie Edward Bedward. Benny Bedwell. Benny Edward Benny Bedwell. And so he was a grifter? Drifter. Drifter. Bedwell was 21. He was a former circus worker. Oh, so he's a real quality individual. Yeah. He had brief... Hey, I apologize to oh, all I the know, circus workers that. that listen to me. I know we have a lot of fans that are circus yeah, workers. Carney, dirty carnies. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the, he had briefly served in the U.S. Armed Forces. Okay. He had jobs at a well, factory and as a dishwasher with, when detectives picked him up for questioning. Okay. And so then after several days in custody, he signed a confession on January 27th, 1957, admitting he killed... Barbara and Patricia with an accomplice named Frank. As he told it, he and Frank met the girls at a Madison Street Tavern on January 7th. Uh They spent a week together shacking up at various hotels. But on January 13th... One of them's an 8th grader. I know. 7th grader. grader. After the girls resisted the men's advances, Bedwell and Frank knocked them unconscious and dumped the sisters in a ditch. If I hadn't been drinking, I wouldn't have done what I'd done, and what I'd done, I didn't do intentionally, he told the Chicago Daily Tribune. Uh, uh, Loretta Grimes vehemently denied her daughters would ca- yeah. carouse with disreputable They men. wouldn't have run away from home yes. and done this. Yeah, that's so true. almost immediately, holes started to appear in Bedwell's story. Medical experts concluded the girls died on December 28th, 1956. That makes And Bedwell's sense. factory time card proved an al- provided an alibi for the night they disappeared. Okay. His defense attorney insisted Bedwell's confession was coerced. Ah. So then he was released from jail on bond February 5th to the chagrin of Cook County Sheriff Joseph Lohman in Gloss, who believed he was responsible. I think it always bothered him. He was sure he had the right guy and didn't like letting him go, Gloss's daughter. Yeah, the guy was probably guilty of something, but maybe not that. On February 14th. 1957, Gloss took matters into his own hands. The okay. larger-than-life, fedora-wearing, tough son-of-a-gun, quote-unquote, called a press conference at his family home. Okay. Gloss insisted the girls could not have died on December 28th and revealed lab results indicating Barbara had been sexually molested. He knew and believed the girls were both raped, um, but he said that McCarran covered up the evidence in deference to Loretta and to keep the sisters' reputations intact. Okay. The coroner held his own press conference the next day and fired Gloss, who continued the, to investigate the case. So after the whole thing with Bedwell, several suspects emerged, but nothing stuck. Okay. One was named Charles Melquist. He was a suburbanite. He was found guilty in 1959 of murdering another girl, Bonnie Lee Scott, who was 15. Okay. Her nude body was found November 1958 in a wooded area a few miles from where the Grimes sisters died. <sighs> Authorities questioned Melquist after Barbara and Patricia... No, they questioned Melquist about Barbara and Patricia after police found a list of girls, including young women from the Grimes neighborhood, at his apartment. But that was the extent of their inquiry. Creepy. Ray Johnson, a former police officer and lecturer who writes the Chicago History Cop blog, thinks Melquist played a role in the crime but was protected because of ties to the Chicago mob. Oh, you think so? Well, and Is that blog, is that a current blog that you just read? Chicago? Chicago, Chicago History Cop. Yeah. Yeah. That's the current blog that yeah. you read? Okay. So and then in 1957, though, Loretta Grimes got a call. Okay. And the unknown caller said he was the one who undressed the girls. Ugh. Then, nearly 18 months later, on the same night that a newspaper reported the discovery of Bonnie Lee Scott's body, she received another call from someone with a similar voice. Really? And this time the caller said he got away with another one. Oh. And he also said the police would not be able to pin this on Bedwell or Barry Cook, two suspects in the case. So, yeah. Okay. So that would mean that it is Melquist. Because if it's Melquist killed Bonnie Lee Scott, and, he, and the caller said, I just got away with another one. Yeah. But maybe he just knew about it. I don't know. Um, so but another Melquist, theory. Melquist got caught? Yeah. For, for killing for, the other one? Yeah. So he couldn't have called. No, but he didn't he get caught. He didn't. He, he didn't get caught until later. Oh, okay. It wasn't like after he got caught. So no, no. I was confused. Another theory is the sisters died after a liaison with a teenage boys from a local gang who took them for a ride, then abandoned the two. Yeah. A local man told police he saw Barbara talking with youths in a car as Patricia watched. Utes, two utes. The night they went missing, one of the boys reportedly told Barbara, "You'll be sorry." 
to the Chicago the Chicago Tribune reported on February 14th, 1957. Um, so Loretta Grimes unfortunately died in 1989, never knowing what happened to her daughter. Oh, we never really found out. Mm-mm. I kind of think it was the Melquis guy, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he. Do you think he did it that night, though? No, I think he did. I think he killed the other girl, and then he called the mom and bragged about it, and then he got caught. Yeah. For the other girl. For the other girl. But so you think he just killed these two that night, though? They didn't like, he didn't like abduct them and have no. them hang out at their, you know. I don't think so. Hang out with CD guys. No. And there's probably just all the people that thought they saw them. It's just like this. Hysteria it was probably on their mind. You That's know, right. Thinking about it, it was probably big news around there. And mm-hmm. they were probably just looking for them anywhere. And anybody seemed like that. You know, at that yeah. point, your eyes want to believe it, I guess. But. Well, that's sad. That's the love me. Is it love, love me, me tender murders? Love me tender murders. That's right. <clears throat> and that's sad that there's even murders about a innocent song about that Elvis sang about loving. Her. I know, isn't it awful? Love me tender. All right, we're not gonna love do that. Blue, we're not blue gonna do that. Tender. I don't know the words of that, but yeah, that's another sad, awful murder. It's just when you get into it, it's like just when you're describing all the like. Girls' naked bodies found in the woods. It's just so many. Mm-hmm. It's so often. It's all the time. Like, it seems like... Like, I'm surprised I've never encountered one myself. Yeah, how Just because there's like, so there's many. There's been so many. We've said that <laughs> yeah. sentence. There's mannequin like on every, the side of the road. Anytime I drive past woods, I now think there must be a million naked dead bodies in that yeah, that's right. woods. Because it's all the time. It's I gross. know it. It's so awful. It's got to be hard to be a young lady. It sure is. Jeez. It sure is. Sure was back in the day when I was. Uh, Anyway. No longer a young lady. But, you know, we share these stories to keep you alert, folks, listeners. We want you to be alert. Uh, Keep your head on a swivel. Don't trust anyone. That's right. Don't trust anyone. All right. It's time to get out of here, Chuck Berry. It is time to get out of here. Thanks for listening to American Timelines. This has been 1956. 1956. And we'll regroup and come back to 1957. I'd like to apologize also for this being late. We're actually recording this on Wednesday, the day it's usually released, because we realized we hadn't done it. I was all ready to do it. Yeah, we had a little mini vacation in the way. Yeah, we celebrated a birthday and an anniversary. 20 years we've been married, everybody. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Send us money. Truman Ego Trip is the greatest band of all time. Buy their music.